Tere, and welcome to History of Estonia podcast, episode 49, Basic Features of Cultural Life in the Estonian SSR. Well, we are nearing the present day in our timeline of Estonian history, as presented in the book, History of Estonia, published in 1997 and written by Tonu Tonberg, Ayn Messulu, Tonis Lukas, Matti Lauer, and Ago Pajer. So you might be asking yourself, what comes after we finish? I've been working on this podcast with this timeline as a guide for the last three years. I've worked on and presented many episodes off of our main timeline. But the timeline has been the driving narrative that's brought this podcast forward. It had always been my desire to eventually present this podcast from Estonia where I can speak to and meet local experts on Estonian history. To me, this has always been the goal. I figured I would work on this timeline, which I knew would take years to work through, and then see what happens, and hopefully building some credibility in the meantime. Well, we are nearing this point. My wife and I do plan on moving back to Estonia one day. The timeline for this is unclear, though. We do have a tentative plan on sending our son to university in Estonia. Hopefully the plan is Tartu University in the year 2023-24 academic school year. And so far we have complete buy-in on his side. And why not? Estonia's education system is world-renowned and it is a fraction of the cost of American universities. With the added fact that in the year 2024, Tartu will be the European capital of culture. We are excited about the future possibilities for him. What I have always wanted to do is to spend time getting to know in more detail the people, places, and events that we have just skimmed by on our timeline. I would love to work on separate stories in a broad range of topics, from the Forest Brothers after World War II to Estonian pagan religion before Christianity. And the legends of werewolves in Estonia are just some examples off the top of my head. I would really like to go back and cover in more detail the War of Independence and find out what Julius Kuperyanov did that immortalized his memory in Estonian military history. Estonian history is incredibly rich and fascinating, and I look forward to one day working on all of these topics that we just flew past so quickly. But for now, let's get back to the timeline. Basic Features of Cultural Life in the Estonian SSR World War II and the restoration of the Soviet regime in 1944 tore Estonian culture into two pieces, between local and emigre culture. Nevertheless, although many creative people left Estonia as refugees, the survival of Estonian culture was decided in Estonia, where the majority of Estonians had stayed. Their vitality and resistance guaranteed the continuation of Estonian culture during the Soviet years. The Essence of the Soviet Cultural Policy The aim of the official cultural policy of the Estonian SSR was to introduce a culture that would be socialist in essence and national in form. 
Therefore, the attitude of the new authorities to the cultural inheritance of Estonians strictly followed class principles. This put intellectual life in Estonia under ideological pressure, which is more or less depending on political conditions of the period. The intellectual pressure of the last years of Stalin's rule was especially depressing. This pressure increased again in the Brezhnev years, especially in the second half of the 1970s. The years in between, during the so-called Thaw, were marked by much more liberal conditions in the intellectual life of the whole of the Soviet Union and also of the Estonian SSR. Even so, in spite of the relative liberality or strictness of the regime in power, censorship never disappeared in Soviet society. While carrying out continuous control of the intellect, it had to restrict the spread of free thought in society to guarantee social peace in society, the security forces, or the KGB, played an important role. Political and economic isolation had a negative effect on the intellectual life of the Estonian SSR. The isolation was accompanied by an extensive, but fortunately not total, blocking of information about intellectual development and trends in the West. This meant a forced orientation towards Russian culture, which was especially strong at the end of the 1940s and beginning of the 1950s. Part of Soviet cultural policy constituted the selective destruction of the intellectual heritage created by preceding generations. Thus, in the post-war years, extensive cleansing of the inheritance of bourgeois society from libraries was carried out. During this process, a considerable quantity of periodicals and fiction of the years of independence were destroyed. Only some files of newspapers and magazines and single copies of books were preserved. All inadvisable units of writing were secured in special collections, and in order to use them, written permission had to be sought from the authorities. All these processes were accompanied by extensive propaganda aimed to assist in subjecting the spheres of intellectual life to the control of the ruling regime. New Generation of Intellectuals In the final years of World War II, many Estonian intellectuals fled to the West in fear of the Soviet order. According to estimates, 120 writers and artists, 40 journalists, 120 scientists, 500 doctors and more than 500 engineers and technicians left Estonia. The intellectual heritage they created in exile is astonishingly rich, especially in literature, and forms an organic part of Estonian cultural history. But the majority of Estonians could not share in the inheritance during the period of the Soviet years. The intellectuals representing the old school, the period of independence, who remained in Estonia, were subjected to ideological terror, which meant restricting or eliminating their freedom of creation for decades. The political distrust of the Estonian intelligentsia culminated in the period following the 8th plenary session of the Central Committee of the ECP in 1950 and formed part of the struggle against the so-called bourgeois nationalism. The scientists, writers, and other creative intellectuals 
who had been active in the period of independence, faced the danger of becoming carriers of bourgeois influences and therefore enemies of the Soviet culture. They were told by their authorities to reassess, or what they really meant was to disown their earlier creations. Criticism, self-criticism, and the firm following of Soviet realism in their further works were expected. This was accompanied by the marginalization of creative associations and dismissal or arrest of those who were insubordinate. Extensive campaigns of exposing bourgeois nationalists were also carried out in research establishments and institutions of higher education. In the middle of the 1950s, intellectual suppression abated to a certain extent. This gave the intellectuals of the older generations an opportunity to return to their creative work. The partial self-restoration of national culture began in which an increasingly important role was played in the intellectuals of the new generation. They filled the empty space created by the war and terror policy, thus restoring the continuity of professional Estonian culture. The final breakthrough of the new generation took place in the 1960s. The cultural renovation of this period was characterized by a noticeably more liberal creative atmosphere. Subjective and innovative concepts of form and new values and ideals. The young generation of writers, artists, and critics tried to find a positive program to survive in the enriching conditions of the Soviet order. The war in the following years of intellectual suppression dealt a serious blow to high level professional culture. As for popular culture, Estonians were as active as ever at organizing cultural life. The most expressive output of cultural activity was in the amateur activities, the tradition of amateur orchestras, choirs, and drama societies, which had been active in the years of independence, was continued. In the post-war years, folk dancing became especially popular. The tradition of song festivals was also restored, and the Song Festival of 1947 became a great national event. Despite the flying of red flags, the Song Festival became a unique, nationally biased mass event during the Soviet years. In the second half of the 1950s, amateur activity began to retreat in the face of high-level professional culture. On one hand, this was caused by the arrival of a new generation of creative intelligentsia in cultural life. But on the other hand, several social processes played out an important role such as urbanization, an increase in the high level of general education of the population, and a growth in economic living standards. The role of the mass media, printed media, radio, and television, in the cultural life of the Estonian SSR increased gradually. The broadcast time of Estonian radio increased. In 1967, in addition to the first station, the Vika Radio and Stereo radio stations began to broadcast. In 1985, the total broadcast time of Estonian radio was 35 hours per day. In 1955, Estonian television transmitted its first broadcast. However, television sets did not become part of the everyday part of Estonians until much later.
In the 1970s, the changeover to color TV took place. The printed media were divided into republic-wide and town and district newspapers, magazines, and administrative publications. All the mass media were subjected to censorship. Although the mass media appeared to be ideological supporters of the reigning regime, as well as disseminators of official propaganda, their influence was not restricted to this. The printed media, radio, and television made a welcome contribution to Estonian intellectual life, distributing news from Estonia and elsewhere, mainly from the Soviet Union, educating people and acting as their mediators of cultural life. The traditional fondness of reading of Estonians, as well as the relatively low price of books, increased the home libraries of Estonian people. The Lomingu Ramutukogu publisher played an important role in bringing world literature to the Estonian readership. From the 1960s onward, the consumption of culture at home was characterized by the increasing use of technology. More and more stereos, TV sets, and tape recorders were bought for home use. The number of visits to theaters, cinemas, museums, and exhibitions increased rapidly. The consumption of culture in the north of Estonia became influenced by Finnish TV, which facilitated the cult of a Western lifestyle. The development of a general pattern of cultural consumption, similar to that of developed countries, caused a gradual disappearance of rural culture. The urban way of life spread among rural settlements, and many small village schools and clubs were closed down, while libraries were closed. The urbanization of the consumption of culture in rural areas caused a decrease in popular culture, which became restricted to the fields of the song festivals, folk dance, and choral singing. The Role of Church in Society In the years of the Estonian SSR, the formal freedom of religion was preserved. But in everyday life, many direct and indirect restrictions were made on religious folk and, and congregations. The buildings and property of the churches were nationalized, and the congregations had to pay high rent for them. As the Faculty of Theology of Tartu University was abolished, the training of priests became concentrated in Tallinn and the Institute of Religious Science, or the Tallinn Consistory. Due to the conditions imposed, tuition was mainly carried out in the form of distance education. It was attempted to reduce the influence of the church in society by aesthetic propaganda and by introducing several secular traditions. In order to replace the religious tradition of confirmation, the summer days of youth were introduced. Religious commemoration events and cemeteries were rapidly replaced by secular ones. However, church funerals remained comparatively widespread, even in the days of Soviet rule. The goal of the aesthetic propaganda was to develop a hostile, or at least indifferent, attitude towards the church and religion in society. With the younger generations, this policy was quite successful. By the 1960s, the church had lost its traditional role of maintaining morale and balance in the everyday routine of Estonians. But in spite of the repression and propaganda, the church remained practically the only public institution in the Estonian SSR that
that was not entirely subjected to the control of the regime in power. Therefore, the church had a role of an intellectual opposition in Soviet society. Education. In the post-war years, the educational system, typical of the years of independence, was finally abolished in Estonia. The school system was based on the pattern used in other Union republics of the Soviet Union. In teaching and education, the principles of Soviet pedagogy were applied. The training programs were thoroughly revised. Humanities subjects and their teachers were subjected to strong ideological pressures. Alongside courses on the history of the world and that of Estonia, a thorough course on the history of the Soviet Union was introduced. The main feature of the Marxist approach to Estonian history included the class struggle and the friendship between the Russian and the Estonian nations. Teachers were strongly affected by the exposure of Borgois nationalists, and many teachers who had worked during the years of the independent Estonian Republic were dismissed. This caused a fall in the quality of tuition. In the Estonian SSR, a seven-year, and after 1959, eight-year compulsory education was established in the 1970s, secondary education was made compulsory. After finishing the eighth year, pupils had to continue their education in either secondary or vocational schools. The latter provided secondary education in addition to the vocational education. Making secondary education compulsory essentially devalued the education provided, as graduation certificates were also awarded to pupils who did not deserve them. Schools were given compulsory percentages of academic achievement, which meant the less talented pupils were allowed to pass. This became morally devastating for both pupils and teachers. Various campaigns, which were carried out without being thoroughly considered or well-planned, had a negative effect on education. The Sovietization of higher education was mainly expressed by replacing the subject system with a core system, which essentially restricted the freedom of movement of independence of students. In 1950, the higher art school, Palace in Tartu, was closed down, and the Estonian State Institute was opened in Tallinn. In addition, the following education establishments were active in Tallinn. The Polytechnic Institute, the State Conservatory, and in, from 1952, the Pedagogical University. In Tartu, the university continued to operate, its official name now being Tartu State University. In 1951, the Estonian Agricultural Academy was opened in Tartu. The most important of the higher educational establishments was still Tartu University, which partially managed to preserve its academic ways of thinking and life. Cultural resistance. The events of 1968 in Czechoslovakia put an abrupt end to the period of relative liberalism in the Soviet Union. A reactionary fallback could be clearly felt in domestic policy, as well as in the sphere of intellectual life in the Estonian SSR. In cultural life, the atmosphere of optimism of the 1960s were replaced by moods of pessimism and indifference. In the conditions of increasing Russification, the administration of cultural life 
propaganda of bilingualism and censorship grew. Connections with Western cultural areas became extremely restricted. The slogan of ideological struggle became common again. All these negative tendencies appeared especially clearly at the end of the 1970s when Karl Vaino became head of the power structure of the Estonian SSR. At the same time, the stuffy atmosphere of the 1970s was the period at which a peculiar culture of resistance, which relied on the nationally-minded intelligentsia, appeared. While the post-war ideological pressure had made many intellectuals accept the general ideology, the wave of Russification of the 1970s caused a considerable increase in protest against the regime in power. A good example of this was the Letter of 40, in 1980. The absence of a future perspective, characteristic of this period, made people look backwards in time to find support from history to survive in the present. In the second half of the 1980s, the majority of the creative intelligentsia of Estonia, making use of the options offered by perestroika, actively joined the process of democratization and restoration of independence. And that is where we will leave our timeline for now. In recent episodes, I have gone outside of our historical narrative to give what I think are compelling reasons for the need to have a NATO presence in Estonia and the other Baltic countries. This topic is at the forefront of my mind due to the 100,000 plus troops that have surrounded Ukraine with the threat of imminent invasion. Unfortunately, Russification of old territories of the former empire did happen and will happen again if the current administration in Russia goes unchecked. One of the demands that Russia has is to reset to a 1997 power structure. Before Estonia and many other nations join NATO, this is of course absurd and is non-negotiable as far as the U.S. is concerned anyways. Hopefully learning more about how Russia tried to russify Estonia allows you to put yourself a little more easily in the shoes of a Ukrainian. So, until we meet next time, Nagamiseni. <laughs>